Colossians chapter 1. We left off in ver- after verse 8, so we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Although knowing me, I will probably go back to verse 8 and 7. God, we lift up your word. That's, uh, we ask that you just change our hearts, that you would pierce the darkness, Lord, that you would resurrect the dead, um, Father, in this place, Lord. Lord, it's so often, Lord, we're just uh, overwhelmed by the things of life in the world, and we're just getting hit 24 hours a day, seven days a week by um, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we just ask that this would be a time of your spirit. And so in this next uh, 40 minutes or so, Lord, that you would just cause us to come alive, that something would be said from your word that would pierce our hearts, change our lives forever. Lord, that our thinking would be rearranged, that strongholds that the enemy had put in there would be torn down, that we'd be greatly encouraged, Lord, in our walk with you, that where we need to be uh, corrected, there would be correction, Father, uh, but all in the context of love. Thank you so much that we are a fellowship, that we gather together in this little place in Walla Walla, Washington, and we want to be a light for you, Lord Jesus. Uh, we realize our weakness, our frailty. We see the, the massive fields that are out there that uh, need to be tended to. And so, Lord, uh, we, can't, we can't do this apart from the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for just uh, whatever you want to pour out upon us, Lord, we ask that you fill us this morning. And so, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. As we spoke about last week, the gospel is is like a seed. And the seed is cast out among hearts of men. That's the picture that the scripture gives. It's cast out among the hearts of men. We know that the very nature of a seed is to produce something, correct? We want it to produce something. A uh, very bad, uh, horrible illustration of this. Uh, when I was younger, I, I used to smoke pot behind my garage. And we'd kick out the seeds, right? Because it explodes. Never mind. I don't want to do this. But we'd kick it out. It'd fall on the ground. And what would happen is later on, a plant would pop up. I did not want that plant to pop up when my uncle was working on my house and said, Matt, you got an issue. (laughs) Okay, this is my illustration of the day. I know it. It didn't make a difference. That seed was going to do what it was meant to do, correct? The gospel produces life. Isn't that awesome? That's what it does. The gospel produces life in the hearts of men. And it just needs to be put in there. Amen? That's what I love about it. The nature of the gospel of grace is to infiltrate our hearts, the hearts of dead men, and cause life to take root, to change us from the inside out. I love that about God. Religion is this outside-in type thing. It says conform, 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 conform. But Paul says be transformed from the inside out. And that's that's what we need, a new life. And that's what the gospel brings. The gospel infiltrates the hearts of dead men, dead women, and causes life to take root, that spiritual life. And the scriptures declare in Ephesians chapter 2 that all are dead. 
spiritually dead, unable to produce life in themselves. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, has made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? Not of yourselves. And he did this by grace through our faith in the gospel. That's how it works together. The gospel says that Jesus died for our sins and rose again on the third day. And that whoever believes upon him and puts their faith in Jesus Christ will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I love that. In verse 7 through 8, we learned that a guy named Epaphras, who was uh, defined in two ways. He was defined as a bondservant and as a minister faithfully gave the word of God to the uh, Colossians. And so that bond servant was someone who is laid down their life willingly for God. They said, my, I no longer live, but now whatever you want is what happens in my life. I no longer live. I'm your servant. And then he's also identified as a minister. A minister is someone who executes the will of someone else. And so that's the kind of person that shares life, is someone who's laid down their life and does the will of the Father, which is to go and give that life away. Amen? And so we learn that. And God desires that the very nature of Christ, who is life himself, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, would continue to grow in us. How many of you came to the Lord and you were excited and you started following him, but then you hit this wall? Anybody? And you just have the spiritual... Eh. God wants to bust through that. He wants that to start growing again. He wants it to become overwhelming until you are a crazy uh, fruit-bearing plant for Jesus Christ. And that's why you're going to be miserable until that happens. God desires, He wants that to happen. But there are, we live in a very hostile world to where it's, the world is in rebellion towards that life. You know that. Everything we have, everything that's set up, the systems, the politics, the people, the, the principalities, the things we watch, the things we see are all designed to crush and kill that life. And Jesus said, I have overcome it. And so, if you're feeling crushed and overwhelmed and all those types of things, if you're feeling stunted in your walk with Jesus Christ, there's hope because He's designed something in you that desires to grow and to not be stunted. And He gives you what you need in order to have that abundant life. Amen? And so Paul, he starts praying to that effect. He starts praying, not necessarily for the outward man, which is perishing, but for that inward man. Christ in us, the hope of glory, that it would be fed, that it would be grown within us, displaying more and more of that new life and less and less of the old life of the flesh. Isn't that what we want to see in one another? Less anger, less bitterness, less uh, frustration, less all these things. More love, more patience, more long-suffering, more Jesus. Amen? That's what I want to see. That's what Christine wants to see in me. Amen? Amen, Christine? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so the word of God is spread and it's watered through more of the word and prayer. And in verse 9, Paul is saying there that his fellow servants of the Lord, he and his fellow servants are praying continually that God would begin, uh, uh, what God began would continue to grow in their hearts. Mainly that they would know God and know his will. How many of you know what the will of God is? And that's why he's praying. How many of you know the Seattle Seahawks lineup this year? 
How many of you know what happened in the draft? How many of you know about the latest sales and trends? You know, I'm just saying the things that we, we know are filled with. I'm not saying we can't be informed on it's a political cycle. How many of you know all the talking points of all the candidates and all this type of stuff? Steve Story's not in here. But anyways, how many of us know those types of things, ins and outs and, and all this information? It's not that we can't be you know, informed on that stuff, but in the end, that's not what's going to grow you. It's not going to grow that spiritual being. Knowledge puffs up, but, the, but love builds up, and that's what we desire, a knowledge and a wisdom that will cause us to grow in love. Amen? That's what we desire. And, and because that um, we're filled with a knowledge and a wisdom of this world, uh, so prevalently, um, the new life often gets crushed. And you're stuck in this fruitless state, as I have been. And, and it's what I call miserable Christianity. You're just stuck between two places. And you're just kind of, eh, and it's just, it weighs on you the weight of religion and you find you're you're just this heavy burdened beast and jesus would come to you and cry out and says come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light come to me come to me come to me jesus keeps crying out and if you notice paul is praying that god would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom understanding the spirit gives God wants you to know what His will is. God wants you to know what His will is. Do you know that God wants you to know what His will is? Just had to repeat that a couple times. That's what they do in advertising. As I said, we live in a time when a bunch of knowledge and stuff that ultimately does not matter fills our minds. We know more about uh, our favorite TV show than the things that are eternal and really, uh, really... uh, really are important you know what i mean we know more about things that are uh, you know are, are passing away than the things that are eternal you know there's lyrics to songs that i remember i'm just going why in the world do i still remember that you know it's like how many times can you listen to led zeppelin without losing it so I, you know why is that still in your head but in Colossi, it was a real big deal to be up on the latest knowledge. It was a very um, intellectual type culture. They would talk about philosophy. That's where we get all these philosophers from, the amazing ones, the amazing works. And it was really important to be able to know these types of things within the Greek culture. And so they would be up on the latest writings and the thoughts and all these types of things. And somehow that got infused into what they were doing within the body of Christ. And there would be a hybrid of those things infiltrating the doctrines and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And somehow they thought that a Jesus hand thing would be good for them. And that was not true. And so because they had a bunch of philosophical, mystical understanding, they could very well think that they were spiritual. And God actually designed that they wouldn't be filled with all that wisdom and all that knowledge, but the things that come not from this world, but from heaven. Do you know that ultimately wisdom and knowledge come from, they come from two places? James teaches us that in chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. James says that there are two types of wisdom. One is earthly, it's sensual in nature, sensual wisdom that is demonic in origin. Did you know that? 
And then he says, then there's wisdom from heaven that is pure, then peace loving, then considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And so there's two different types of wisdom in the world. One that leads to and it reinforces the world, the flesh, and ultimately the devil, and the other things that are of the spirit that would reinforce and would flow from his heart and his mind. And so Paul is not only rejoicing the fact that the church in Colossae had faith in Christ, but was continuing to ask God that they would grow in their walk with the Lord as they took in that spiritual food and that spiritual wisdom, that spiritual understanding, so that they would know the will of God. How do we know God's will? Verse 9 says that the will of God comes through when... God gives us wisdom and knowledge that comes by the Spirit. Thank you very much for clarifying that, Paul. What does it mean? So he says that wisdom comes by the Spirit. Not the Spirit of the age, not the Spirit of the earth, the Spirit of God. Notice that knowledge and wisdom of His will comes through the Spirit who gives us wisdom and understanding. It's not of this world. It's not something that you can take in uh, just by listening to a bunch of people. It's something that God has to give you. The way He gives it, it's, it's Spirit. In John 6, 63, and this is where we're, we're, we're honing in on where we get that spirit of wisdom because what's the difference between me and someone else saying I'm hearing from God, they're hearing from God, and aren't we all happy? Jesus said in John 6, 63, Jesus, in his own words, said of his words, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. They are full of the spirit and life. The spirit and the word are in harmony. The wisdom that we need from God's will comes from the word of God. You want to be filled with God's wisdom, be filled with his word. You want to be filled with God's spirit, be filled with his word. They're in harmony. They're not in opposition. And that's very important to know because we have parts of the body of the Christ that argue over these things. They are one and the same. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God. Let me, let me back that up. So in Ephesians chapter 5, just real quickly take a little rabbit trail with me, a pastoral rabbit trail. Ready? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Well, first of all, he's writing the book of Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and all this stuff from jail. So he's probably sitting down, pinning these one after another, and he's sending them off to the different churches. And so they have the same flavor, right? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19, Paul says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to a, a crazy life. He says, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. And so Paul says, Don't be influenced by wine, be influenced by the Spirit. And the picture is a boat that's being pushed by the wind. Don't be influenced by those things. Be filled by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, the fruit of it is that you're going to be actually edifying people around you. Does that make sense? As opposed to ruining your life. Be filled with the Spirit and therefore bless one another. Well, the sister verse to that, which is the same thing in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, 16 through 17, which we'll get to, says, Let 
the message or the word of Christ dwell among you richly, right? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. One passage says to be filled with the Spirit, and the other says to be filled with the words of Christ. Which is it? Yes. Thank you. They are the same. And I am not saying that the Lord doesn't want to go off the page, but let me tell you, it doesn't contradict what the page says. Amen? To be filled with the Spirit is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. To, to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly is to be filled or influenced, pushed along by the Spirit. And so Paul is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge and wisdom that the Spirit gives. How does he give it? One of the main ways is through the Word of God. And so the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to grow the people of God to the glory of God. Amen, God. Love that. So he's praying. So let me ask, do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom for God's will? The Bible says ask and seek. Ask is prayer. Seeking is opening it and finding it. Hanging around with the people who are filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I would say people who are influenced by the Word and are demonstrating it because they have the fruit of the Spirit in their life. There's love, right? Not just knowledge. Because you can be a Pharisee and know the Word, right? It's not talking about the love has to be, the end product has to be on display. But you need wisdom. Ask and seek. Go to the Word. Be around people who are filled with the Spirit. Do you have inner turmoil in your heart that the wisdom of this world can only throw a prescription at? Anyone? It's prevalent. You don't even know why you do what you do. Anybody got those situations going on? Why you get angry? Why this happens? Why that, you know? Or why they do that? You're like, why in the world do they do that? You just want to tranquilize them, you know? I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. (coughs) Hebrews 4.12, what does it say? It says, For the word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow, to expose our innermost thoughts and desires and tents of our heart. The word of God cuts into all those little tiny things. You want to find out what's going on with you? Start to open the Word, and it's going to start to precision cut. It's going to cut into attitudes and intents and thoughts. How many of us need that? Amen. How about how many of you want your minds transformed and renewed? Romans 12.2, it transforms. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you need counsel? The Spirit of God will counsel you. 2 Timothy 3.16 in the New Living Translation says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do is, when it, what is right. I need a counselor. Amen? The Spirit is our counselor. How many of you need to be comforted? 
I need comfort. The Word of God brings comfort. Because of the words of the Spirit. They're the things that feed our spiritual life. How many of you have poured gasoline on your garden? How does that work? How are the plants doing after that? No, they need water and nutrients and things that will cause them to grow. Amen? You're a spiritual being. And you're wondering why you're dead. I'm wondering why I'm not growing because what am I feeding myself? You need spiritual food. And God loves you and has spiritual food at your disposal. It's all here for you. God will give you insight. He's going to transform you. He'll counsel you. The Spirit will give you the next steps and will keep you from stumbling. Psalm 119, 105. Don't you know what to do or where to go? You know, it says, it says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We could go on all day, but Paul is praying that the people of God would be under the word of God so that they would know the will of God because God saved them for a purpose and that purpose is wrapped up in his will which is wrapped up in his word which are the things of the spirit. Amen? So Jesus said in John 15, let's just do Jesus' word. They're a lot better than mine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear what? Much fruit. So all that he wants us to do is what? Remain. Just remain. That's so hard. Isn't it hard? To re- I just want to be a plant that uproots and goes and does my own thing. And as soon as I start to do that, what ha- starts to happen to me? I start to die and wither. And it shows out in my attitudes. It shows out in my behavior. It shows out in my lack of love. But when I'm back connected to the vine, what happens? Love. Life. It says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes, I've experienced that. I know that to be true. Anybody else? If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I don't want to know that verse right now. Let's move on to move seven. Stay in seven, everybody. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Paul is praying that this loving, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ would be continually taking place. Amen? The Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts of the people of God, conforming that mind and that heart onto God's plan so that they, so that we begin to ask God for that plan to take place. And then that is where God's power comes in and He starts to answer prayers. That's where the power comes in when we start praying according to His will and His plan. I tell you what, it's frustrating. Saying, God, I just want you to, you know, will you bless me with more gasoline? And he's like, no. I don't want to. But if you start praying according to His will, the things that Jesus would pray, guess what happens? He starts moving resources. Things start happening. Life starts flowing. Power starts flowing. The abundant life starts happening. Amen? But it's not going to look like this world. It's going to look like Jesus. And therein lies the cross. 
but it starts with knowing the will of God found in the word of God. So God's will for your life is not just orthodoxy. It's not just knowing the right thing. It's actually living it out, right? It's living it out to do it. And verse 9 is a prayer for God to give them the will through the knowledge and the wisdom the Spirit gives. But verse 10 is the why. So that you may live a life worthy and please Him in every way. God is calling believers to a life worthy of the Lord. A life that pleases Him in every way. What do you think that means? What does worthy of something mean? The reality of what's happening reflects the reality of what has been done. Does that make sense a little bit? Think about Jesus. God sent His Son, who was of infinite worth and holiness, to pay for for me, for the sins I willfully and just by nature committed against Him, and for you. So that in His love, He could stand righteously and say, You're innocent. I like that. How many of you like that? Is that a good trade? That's an awesome trade, speaking of trades. His righteousness, holy, eternal life for my death and rebellion. God so loved the world, he sent his son. And I said, yes, I want that deal. Thank you. I can't earn it. It's something he gave. I just say yes to it. I believe upon it. And he, the transaction happened to where I was conveyed from the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. I was changed. And in return, do you think my life should reflect that in my attitude in my life? Absolutely. How many of you struggle with that? Oh gosh, yeah. Because we still have these dumb bodies that are like dead weights. They, Paul says, who's going to save me from this body of death? When he says that, it's as if he's walking around with a body chained to him that he has to drag around everywhere he goes. The things he wants to do, I'd really like to run and jump over that, but I really can't right now. I've got a dead body tied to me. That's the kind of that's the, the literal picture in the Greek that he's giving. But the lives we mirror, we live, mirror our understanding of that reality of what the Father did for us. And so, when we focus our hearts and our minds upon the person of Jesus Christ, that begins to more reflect in our lives. And that's a good thing. You know, so that we're more, the more we know and see of our Father and Jesus, what He's done for us, the immeasurable grace and mercy and the love poured out upon us, the wrath we've avoided, the eternal inheritance that is ours by grace. The more we know, the more we look at that, and the more that we respond to that. That's what the Lord's looking for. Our lives, that reflection. That's sweet to Him. So, what does that look like? What does a worthy life look like as it pleases God? Verse 10, it simply says, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. A worthy life, a pleasing life towards God is one that looks like a healthy fruit-bearing plant. How many of you have a garden going right now? How many have a plant that you do not like? Okay, John, John, John Davin, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, last year we planted tomatoes in our garden, and 
Yeah, and they kind of they died. We, we just got so out of control because we didn't manage them very well. And anyways, that they died. And, and so this time we tilled the ground and all that type of stuff. And and right before we were about to plant, we see all these tomato plants starting to pop up. So it's just wild tomatoes, and, that, and that's a really cool thing. Uh, and so it was just kind of like mystery plants. And so we allowed them to grow in this one area wildly, and, and they're bearing all types of tomatoes. So we got these aromas, we got these big ones, and these little yellow pear tomatoes, and even heirloom tomatoes. Just, it's just going crazy. And they keep growing, and they keep producing, and it is so fun to walk out there in the morning and to just go grab tomatoes. And look, I have so many tomatoes, we don't need them. We give them away to people, you know? And the tomato fairy comes to you. You guys have had to, yeah. <laughs> But it's awesome. But there's nothing more frustrating than going out and trying to get something to grow that should be growing out of control, but it refuses to grow and will not bear fruit. Is that not frustrating? It's wasting grounded space in your time. Anyone? Yeah. It almost makes you want to uproot it and put something there that will grow. But the sign of a believer who has the life of Christ is them in them is that Faith is being fed by the word and it begins to produce fruit in every good work. And on top of that, there's a hunger and a thirst for more and they grow continually. That's the picture, an out-of-control plant that just has fruit, all kinds of fruit in their life. And it just gets so much to where it can be given away. It starts blessing other people. That's what God designed you for. That's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus did. Did he not? Is that how he lived? He lived his life in such a way to where there was such life pouring out of him. He is life. That it just spilled over onto everyone who was around them. And they come flooding to him for that resource. And that's God's heart is that he longs to make us a people who are the extension of Jesus Christ, the very extension of Jesus Christ, flowing out to the world around them, that our love and our resources and all the things we have are representative of his heart and his love for this world and would just be poured out through us to people so they would come to know the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? I want you to be crazy plants, overflowing. And so it's important for you to know that although you're not a plant, you are a spiritual one, and God has created you for His glory. And what pleases His heart is when He sees the garden of your life and finds all kinds of spiritual fruit. The fruits are good works. In John 15, beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches, and I have created you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start to ask. You're just going to start to pray because what is in my heart, what is in the Father's heart, becomes what's in our heart, and we're going to long for those things. And guess what? He's going to start to answer, and you're going to start to bear that fruit in your life. You're going to start to bear that fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And that's why our churches, if our bullseye in our church is to glorify God, I know that seems pretty um, ambiguous, but as you look at glorify God, the whole idea of that is we want to live lives like Jesus that produce that fruit that make his heart happy. And so we emphasize the word, so we emphasize prayer and worship and all these things, so that you're feeding upon 
the Word and, and it's living and fellowship and, and there's just life flowing in and out of us. And God's walking around going, man, look at this group of people who love each other that are just like my son. And they're loving to see people so much and they are so devoted to me in truth, in love, that they're affecting the community around them. The, the community is not infiltrating them. God created you for an abiding relationship with him where you hear his words, they fill your heart, you ask those things uh, that would come about in you and through you and in, in the place that God has placed you and beyond. And by faith, you begin to walk in them and you begin to see that good fruit working out. And this is what satisfies the human soul. This is what you're longing for. It's not the next adventure. It's not the next, next adventure. It's not the pie in the sky thing. It is that you are doing and being what God has created you to be. And that is found in his will and in an abiding relationship uh, with him. You know, when, when you see something that is created for something and is being abused and mistreated, it breaks your heart. But when you see something that any of you, any of you people who work on stuff and you have a tool that rightly fits the purpose of which you created it for or made it for or purchased it for, it brings you joy when you go to that one thing and you go, oh, there it is, you know, and you just know it does the right thing. I don't even know if I'm speaking in your language right now, but I'm thinking of something. So, yeah, how much more so you in God's hands? This is what we're made for. Nothing can compare for it. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork. We're his workmanship. We're his poema. We're his poem, his creation, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a custom-made life, a custom-made project, a custom-made calling for you, and it is all wrapped up in him. Isn't that awesome? And it's not to do what I do. It's to do what he has called you to do and to be. Isn't that awesome? And how he's called you to do and to be it. I love that. But as you grow in the knowledge of his will, that he's going to give you, he's going to give you bigger steps. He's going to give you bigger steps of faith, greater opportunities to glorify him, greater opportunities to love, greater opportunities to lay down your life for others, greater trials, greater trials, greater sufferings, things that require God more and more as the heart of Christ is fashioned more and more in you by faith. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for a while? Tell me it gets easier. No, it requires more of God. Everything requires more of God. So yeah, start praying for the parking spaces. Absolutely, you want God involved in everything. But let it then grow you. So where you're asking for everything and big, giant, huge things. And when you're faced with trials that you can't possibly steer the ship in, that's a call for God. But he's going to lead you towards that. 
This is why he says in verse 11, this is something you can't do. This is why he says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. The fruit that God wants to produce in and through you and through your life, it can't be manufactured by your sheer grit. The things that God wants to do are not of this world. They are of the Spirit, and and it's empowered by the Spirit of God in and through you, which is by humility and faith in Him. Where is God's strength? Where does His strength abide in us? When When we're strong, His strength is when we're weak. Amen? In your weakness, I am made strong. I am made evident. God doesn't just give you the knowledge and wisdom of what to do. He gives you the power to do it. Isn't that cool? How many of you like, have, have, have had a project for one of your kids and you say, I want you to go do this, and you equip them with nothing? They're out there like... You know this chart... No, you, you, you take out, you go, okay, this is it, and this is that, and you, hand, and you, and you give them the materials, and you lay it out and say, you want to use this for this, and, and let's go. And, oh, man, you know, it would be so much easier if you tried this. You're watching them do it. You know, like, no, you got to do, you know, you just, you lay it out for them, right? You want power tools for the things God's called you, spiritual power. And that's why he says, I don't have just some power. What does he say there? He says, being strengthened with all power. How many of you need all power? to love. I need all power to be in a good mood. I need all power to lay down my life that others might live. So being strengthened with all power, God's calling you guys to some huge things. Some of you are thinking buckets of apples or a bucket of apples. You know, he might be thinking of hectares of, of harvest for you. Things he's calling that that cannot be done in in your own power. Things that are wild, like Joseph with the nations, feeding the nations. God had to crush that guy's pride before he could use him. And then he was a blessing. None of God's will for your life can be accomplished by your sheer grit. It has to be accomplished by his faith in him and power. We're almost there. You know, some of you say automatically, I will not go share Jesus because I. I will not share Jesus because I. Fill in the blank. I will not love so-and-so because I or they. You know, and you're right. You're not going to go share Jesus. You're not going to love that person. You're not going to humble yourself. You're not going to do these things. But Christ in you, that's a whole different deal. If Christ is in you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to live. And the nature of the gospel is it wants to spread. Are you going to let it? Are you going to let his power fill you? Are you going to let him love through you? All power and according to his glorious might. Aren't you thankful that that is the kind of power and access we have? All power and his glorious might. He's oh, you know, awesome. I love that about the Lord. God is calling us to a love that is of his spirit, a courage that is of the spirit, a humility that is of the spirit, and a forgiveness that is of the spirit, a faith that is of the spirit. More and more. And Paul's praying this because the fruit doesn't come right away. We need to be strengthened with perseverance and endurance. How many of you 
are, are weary in your walk with the Lord. Some of you get weary. You are people who are in the Word. You are people who are loving. You are people who are sacrificing, and you don't see the fruit yet. How many of you need power to persevere? That's a lot of us, amen? Oh, that's a lot of you. <laughs> Got to be honest, right? It's hard. We need comfort. We need power. We need God's perspective in this life. You know, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful, right? But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law, the word, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. In season. Lord, what's a season? That's what I would like to know. Persevere. God is calling you to persevere. He's calling this church to persevere. Amen? He says, In giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the eternal inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul just shotguns a bunch of promises at him. What causes you to persevere? Promise and truth and hope. If you know that at the end of this, you've got this, then let's just push through. Let's do this. Amen? How many of you start with something in mind, a project with something in mind? You look at the end, you go, man, that's going to be worth it. And so you endure and you push through. How much more something that is eternal that's going to last forever? Take it to the bank. We give thanks because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness. He's brought you into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. You have been redeemed. You have the forgiveness of sins. They are yours in Christ Jesus. It's a done deal. Walk in it. Lord, we ask that as we go today, as we're done, that we would have things settled in our hearts that we would know you more and more, but not just to know about you, but so that we could please you. Lord, I'm praying for the brothers and sisters in this room who are stunted in their walk with you, that perhaps they've been feeding themselves everything, but I ask that you challenge them in their heart by your spirit to feast upon your goodness, your words, Lord Jesus and that they would grow in their hearts because of it. And I'm asking for those who have been walking for a while, who are feasting upon you, but haven't had fruit in a while, Lord. I ask that you give them wisdom as to why. It might be a season thing, or it just might need to be a perseverance in prayer. There might be some kind of demonic thing happening there. Give us wisdom from your word, according to your word. Let us have life that flows, that's not just emotional, Lord, but it's based on true, just the springing out of our hearts, the Lord Jesus rising up within us. And I pray that the end product would be love, not as the world loves, but as you love, Lord Jesus. And so, God, um, draw us to your throne. Encourages this morning. 
May we be that chosen people, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, God's special possession, that we would declare the praises of you've called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. In the name of Jesus, amen.